0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today we're continuing our series on villains by talking about Dr. Doom. We're looking at the question of, where is the line between a villain or an anti-hero? How much do the motivations of a villain matter, and how does that change the way we see him? And how is it that Dr. Doom, the character who's appeared in more Marvel comics than any other character, has been portrayed from so many different moral standpoints? I'm joined by special guest and frequent panda contributor, Jay Scotty Sinclair. All that more after commercial break, we have no control over Welcome back. This is Matthew, your host. Uh, quick note, I'm continuing to have uh, microphone problems on this end. We've moved my computer around, and unfortunately, my good microphone is not working. I'm hoping I can get it back up going. Unfortunately, I'm recording three podcasts tonight, so it might be a bit of a struggle. But <clears throat> we'll do our best to get the sound up to good quality. I also am, I think, dealing with a little bit of a cold. It's not COVID, I promise. <laughs> but um so my voice is not the best tonight my microphone's not the best tonight uh and i'll probably be true of a couple star wars episodes coming soon as well but we are going to get that taken care of and by the next superhero by the next superhero ethics episode i will either have a new mic or have gotten this one working again so apologies for all that but thank you so much for being here and i'm so excited for this conversation uh and so jay scotty why don't you start by introducing yourselves?
1: well thank you yeah uh as you mentioned my name is jay scotty st clair um uh, in terms of my uh, involvement with the the Stranded Panda Network, um, as I imagine with most fans, uh, I kind of came on board with the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast back in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I was kind of a quiet listener, didn't submit too much feedback, just kind of did my thing. But as the as the network kind of grew and, and folks like you and Ashley uh, became more frequent contributors and, of course, the launch of uh, the Twitch channel and, and trivia and whatnot, it's just been really awesome to uh, become more actively involved and, and actually have the opportunity to pop up on shows like this with uh, great folks like yourself.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed getting to know you first through our trivia nights, and then um, through some of the special events I've done, mm-hmm. and then hearing you on other podcasts. And so, when you talked to me about this idea you had for uh, focusing on Doctor Doom especially as another way to look at this question of villainy and anti-heroes and sort of where we draw the lines, I was really into it. So, let me actually start with there. Um, if you want to kind of give a quick summary of what, what was it that made this particular topic and, and this character and and this this take on villainhood or on villainy something you wanted to explore
1: yeah yeah of course so um, as you mentioned you put the call out there asking for topics and uh, when I think superhero and ethics my mind immediately kind of tends to go towards the villains I think yeah um, me too yeah from a moral standpoint their uh, moral standpoint they're a little more interesting to explore and uh, you know I kind of came up with the idea just off the top of my head, I thought, you know, really, what does separate a hero from an anti-hero from a villain? And are there any characters that actually that applies to, to all three? And, and the first one to come to mind was Doctor Doom. He's got a very mm. rich history as the nemesis of the Fantastic Four. And, you know, they're, they're kind of the first family for Marvel. So uh, they've been around since the 60s. And, and Doom, you know, uh, in terms of the comics, they've kind of had a story history with the movies sometimes. Um, the movies haven't always prioritized the Fantastic Four in terms right. of the comics, but even with that said, Doom has always been a main focal point for uh, the Marvel Universe as as one of the, the standout villains. And he's not always just a villain. There are a lot of times that I think he could be described as more of an anti-hero, and in some cases, a, a hero. So I think he's perfect for this discussion.
0: Awesome. Yeah, well, I'm really looking forward to it, because as I've said before, I'm a dirty casual, I have been learning about the comics, and I've read some But most of my knowledge comes from TV and movies, and so I don't know much about Doctor Doom. I have to be honest. I've I've been hearing so much about him. I know that in two different uh, movie franchises now, people have been very unhappy with how he appeared. I mean, they're unhappy with everything about those (laughs) Fantastic Four uh, movie iterations. Sure. But let's just start here. and Without going into too much detail, but kind of giving an overview, um, both for myself and for those who are listening who are maybe, like me, more of just movies, TV show fans. Yeah. Tell us about Doctor Doom. Who is this character, and, and why is it that he's one who can have such kind of a wide moral range, depending on his appearance?
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. And uh, for for those those more casual fans out there, if you are interested in, in getting into the comics, one of the, the runs that I would recommend um, that does a really good job of encapsulating uh, Doom's origins for a more modern era is Ed, Bra- Ed Brubaker's run from the early 2000s. It's called The Book of Dooms, and it's basically, they do kind of a... Uh, documentary kind of style approach to it but getting into the actual character he is victor von doom uh he mm-hmm. is the nemesis of the fantastic four and more chiefly the leader of the fantastic four uh reed richards they have a a long-standing rivalry they attended school together um in the comics it's just uh state university which is a stand-in for new york state university they were both yeah. top of their class uh if they if one wasn't the one correcting the professor it was the other one um, they had a begrudging respect for each other, uh, but ultimately it was uh, Victor's pride and his hubris that was his, his, his undoing, which caused him to become the villain that the villain that he is. His, uh, his experiments were always considered uh, unorthodox and uh, morally ambiguous, and that kind of created the, the friction with him and Reed. And uh, you know, as the Fantastic Four developed their powers and uh, became more and more popular. He was frequently a thorn in their side. And uh, other things to bring up in in terms of his character, he is a monarch. Uh, That's kind of an interesting aspect to his character. He is the leader of a country, uh, Latveria, which is set in Europe, uh, probably Mm -hmm. not too far from Sokovia. People that are familiar with the Marvel Cinematic (laughs) Universe podcast are familiar with that one. But yeah, I I think in in terms of uh, who he is as a character, the fact that he is a monarch and he protects these people that is, that is kind of what alludes to uh, this position that he's put into where he's not always this, this mustache-twirling, cackling villain. He actually has some more altruistic motivations in terms of defending his, his nation and his people.
0: In reading about the character, that's one of the things I was most fascinated by. Um, there's one article that I read that talked about how he started as kind of your general stand-in for the mad scientist trope. Mm -hmm. You know, like you said, the unorthodox experiments and the rival with Reed and that Mm -hmm. sometimes it was about ego or about the fact that they were both competing romantically for Sue Storm or or however that was, but that um, over time, he became this much more complex and nuanced characters and that especially had to do with his motivations. And Mm -hmm. I think that's, like you, I love villain characters and one of the things that I'm often most interested in is is their motivations. Mm -hmm. And you know are they just the mustache twirler who wants ultimate power or lots of money or control or or do they have things that are driving them mm-hmm. um and so talk a bit about that what is it you think that that drives um doom uh and what what are his main i mean obviously he's been a character over thousands of of comic books um you know just reading reading about him reading his wikipedia page you know there's just page after page of all the different ways he has appeared in different alternate universes and things like that so you know take that 50 60 year history of a character and if you wouldn't mind, just summarize it in a couple sentences. Of what does he want?
1: What does he want? He's a very ego driven character initially. Um, mm-hmm. so it is it is very much that to be the alpha to have absolute power is his goal. And in the early comic book roles it's it's pretty much surface um, that that is what it is. he He is after ultimate power. But as we transition into the modern era, modern era, his motivations do become a little more nuanced. Um, You know, I I referred to the fact that he's defending his nation in in Latveria. uh, But he's also got, uh, we find out, as we learn more about his backstory, part of his motivation to gain this ultimate power is because uh, he's actually trying to save his mother. Uh, his, His mother actually sold her soul to some demon characters, Mephisto, chiefly here. Um, And that was an Mm -hmm. attempt to actually free the people of Latveria, which in turn kind of put him in the position to become the ruler. But um, from a surface standpoint, if you want to kind of boil it down to what his motivations are, he's very prideful, very ego driven um, from the outside looking in. But there's Mm -hmm. there's actually a lot more going on there.
0: Nice. And and talk more about also his motivation as a ruler, because my understanding is that both he he's an absolute monarch, to be sure. He's not a Democrat. But no, he no. does want, and I mean that in sort of democracy, not political parties. Mm. But my understanding is that he also wants in his understanding what is best for his people, and then a lot of his desire to rule the world is because he thinks he would be best. It's not a I want to rule the world, mwahaha. A lot of it's the ego, but a lot of it's also this idea that he that if the, the world would be a better place if he was in control.
1: Oh, a- Absolutely, yeah. he's He's coming from a standpoint that He thinks he's the best person for the job. That, that is why he wants that absolute power. So you're absolutely correct in that. And in terms of his, his leadership, you know, I, it's, it's kind of funny the fact that he is a, a character that's coated in, in iron armor. Um, and he actually has, has a stint as Iron Man. Um, but we can get into that later. But I don't think his people would describe him as, as ruling with an iron fist. He's, Mm. for all intents and purposes, he is a pretty, I don't know if benevolent, is the right word, but he is a fair leader, and he has his people's best interest at, at right. heart. So,
0: there's not burgeoning um, movements to overthrow the king and install a republic that he's constantly having to, to fight down, or things like that.
1: Uh, I, there are small instances of that, but yeah, for the most part, he's the people of liberia actually respect him and they they admire him, and actually uh, they're thankful to him for freeing them from the the reign of a tyrannical baron that was in place before he rose to power.
0: Got it. Got it. That all makes sense. Yeah. One one particular story that I found that I was reading about um, that I thought was interesting is that I think really speaks to this, is that apparently at one point, I know he has a lot of interactions with Black Panther and people Mm. of Wakanda, and that at one point he, um, and this quoting from an article I read, and the quote is that once he even went so far as to let his soul lay bare and be judged by the panther god of Wakanda. Who determined that he genuinely wished for a utopian future where humanity thrived, albeit one where, where he was in power? Hmm. Um, does that that strike you as pretty accurate to the character?
1: Yeah, I would say so. It, it kind of sp- speaks to again. He be- he thoroughly believes that he's the right person for the job. He and again, it, it's it's it speaks to that what makes the character so so fascinating and so nuanced. It's the fact that he is so absolute in his belief that he's the right person for the job, that that is his fault. He is, he is right. un, unable to see his inadequacies and where, where he is wrong. And that's what constantly puts him, um, you know, in opposition to, to the, the heroes of the Marvel Universe.
0: Right. And it's interesting because that's something we've talked about a lot on this podcast in terms of other villains. Mm. This idea that, you know, what you describe, I think, is a fairly common idea for a villain. In Doom's case, I think it's more about ego than in others. I would agree. But often there becomes this kind of self-justification of, I know that what I am doing will make the world a better place. And so therefore that leads me to two thoughts. One, Mm. anything that I feel is necessary to do in order to get to that better place will clearly, it's the right thing to do. Mm. And, And that anyone who stands in my way is um, clearly the enemy of the good thing that I want to have happen.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then the other part, though, is that there's never an accountability.
1: Mm-hmm. That if
0: I know absolutely in my heart that what I am doing is right and that I should say to the whole world, you move instead of me. I, mm-hmm. I'm not making any allusions to any particular Marvel <laughs> movies there anymore. But, but just that, that once you have that complete assurance that you and only you know what's right – that you're never going to listen to someone else saying like, "Hey, maybe you might be wrong here," which is something Cap does. Mm-hmm. Everyone was wanting to shout at me about that. I know that's <laughs> not. My, I was just making a joke there, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but for sure. So I think that's to me that's one of the interesting things about this character you're talking about because it feels like he really fits that mold of the person who is so focused on on how much he wants to do good that he stopped kind of asking himself those needed questions about, "Am I actually doing more harm than good?"
1: Hmm. Uh- I, that's actually a really interesting point, I, and I love you. I love that you bring that up. He is very much so a the ends justify the means type of character, but there is right. a level. There's there's almost something admirable about mm. his 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 resoluteness, and and I've never quite heard him compared to Cap like that. But it's not <laughs> unfair, and and mm. I actually really like that. That's that's uh, nice. something to be explored there.
0: Yeah, and so I think, I think there's also something about that he has a code of honor that's a very strong part. Is that kind of what you're referring to as well there? Oh,
1: yeah. Uh, you, you say a, a suit of armor or a code of armor? I, I'm not sure. A code heard. of
0: armor. Like, uh, I'm sorry, a, a code of honor.
1: Honor. Honor. Oh, yes, of course. Yes, he is. I know uh, he also has a suit of armor, which we'll yeah. talk more about as well. But. <laughs> yes, he does. It's one of the more um, uh, iconic aspects of his, of his, his uh, visual portrayal there but uh very much so he does have a code of honor he you know uh it, there are many different types of villains out there um and we've seen some of the more relatable ones uh on the big screen here with uh Thanos recently Killmonger they've been these Marvel villains that are a little more it's a, a little easier to understand their their motivations and i i would right. definitely qualify i would definitely put Doctor Doom in the same category you know he's not a joker Uh, He's not an Anton Shigur from No Country for Old Men. Sorry to kind of mix genres here, but
0: (laughs) no, it's quite uh, okay. He's another great villain.
1: Yeah, as a film fan, it's just like when I when I think about the different types of villains, there's definitely you know you've got the forces of nature, um, which I think Joker, uh, Kong, Anton Shigur all all fall in that category. Doom Doom is not one of those at all, and that's again. Part of the reason that it's it's so easy for him to kind of float between these these different categories, you know. Um, so often he has been the villain, but you know, it's it's right. it, yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> I mean, I <clears throat> over on the Star Wars podcast we talk a lot about that that phrase that gets used all the time about you know, seeing things from a certain point of view. Mm. And, and I think the line is interesting because it's mostly Obi-Wan trying to cover his own ass about how he <laughs> lied to Luke. But, <laughs> but the point, I think, is also a very important one for this in that there's so many of these stories where I think if it was told in a somewhat different way, you could tell basically the same story, but have it be someone else as the hero. You know, that, that Killmonger could, or um, Kingpin could tell the story of Daredevil or Black Panther in a way that makes them the hero. Um, and I think there's a whole other idea here of like, you know, the whole history idea of the winners are the ones who tell the stories. And there's such an interesting question of like, you know, so we get these hero stories, who tells them all that kind of stuff. Mm. And it sounds like Doom, it's very much the same way that when he's talking about what he's done, he's always the hero of his story. Reed and, and the rest of the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man, whoever goes against him, they're the enemies. They're the ones who are against him, stopping him from doing
1: good. Correct. Correct. Yeah. He is very much the hero of his own story. He sees all opposition as as them being in the wrong and them being the villains. Mm -hmm. And it it really does speak to to what you alluded to. You know, whoever writes, they say, you know, history is written by the victors. Right. Um, So it'd be interesting to see history from a Latvian textbook, wouldn't it?
0: Yeah, no, definitely, <laughs> for sure, for sure. And, you know, you know, kind of what kind of control does he have about, you know, are there any Let-Varian, um history professors who've been locked up for telling things that aren't supposed to be told and things like that? Um, um, go ahead. i after you. So have, is there anything else you want to tell us about Doom himself before we kind of step back a bit and talk about some of the different ideas of, of heroism and villainy that we're going to use to kind of look at him and some other villains?
1: Uh. Um just in in terms of like the big swings we've we've talked about his story history as as a villain of the fantastic 4 but before we get into you know more of the the anti-hero and and even heroic runs i would uh in terms of big villain arcs uh secret wars is, is one i would definitely recommend uh, um. people kind of go back and see and that that kind of positions him he's the master manipulator he's got uh Basically, all the villains and all the heroes on both sides, uh, he's playing them. He's, he's basically the ultimate double-triple agent, and he winds up with that ultimate goal of getting the ultimate power. Uh, mm. I don't want to spoil things out entirely, uh, but it might be more than he bargained for, and it might be a bit of a, a comeuppance for him, but definitely interesting. Interesting. An, an interesting... Um, and that, that ties
0: line. into something. We're going to talk about the different categories of hero or villain, and I want to add a new one for him that I think he may exemplify pretty well. Oh, sure. But let's just start by kind of, sort of defining what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when you hear the terms hero and villain and anti-hero, let's just start with hero. What, what to you is a hero? Uh,
1: for me, hero is synonymous with sacrifice, mm. I, I would say. Those that are willing to sacrifice themselves or of themselves to protect an ideal or a a group of people. That's what a hero is to me.
0: Right. It's interesting that you focus on sacrifice because it's the idea of that they're not just sort of out for themselves. That they Mm -hmm. are trying to do some good for someone else in Mm -hmm. some way.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I've always thought that's an important thing, you know, and it's why I think... There are some movies that I've always thought are really interesting where it's about a character who has a certain amount of power. Maybe it's because they're like a very well-trained fighter or maybe they're a superhero. It could be an action movie, whatever it is. Mm. If you're trying to save a bus of schoolchildren and you're putting yourself in danger because they're, school, because they're people and you want to help them, to me that's a hero. If you're trying to save a bus of kids because your, your son or daughter or your child is on that bus, I don't think it makes what you're doing less heroic but to me, that's not quite the hero action in the same way because you're both, you're doing this very much out of your own self-interest. Um, mm-hmm. And I haven't really thought of it before in terms of the sacrifice. But I think that is a it's certainly a trope of how the heroes have often been defined in our world. You know, especially in this media of comic books and movies and things like that, where the noble sacrifice the I will give up my ability to have a normal life or to have a normal romantic partner or <laughs> you know, some part of my life has gone away. That certainly seems a very common thing that we get.
1: Yeah. And uh, I would, I would argue that that often is what separates some of the most altruistic heroes from some of these, these villains that, you know, any other day, any other circumstance, you might call them the hero. They're, they're not, they're not often willing to make the sacrifice, um, whether it's a, a personal sacrifice they might be more willing to make a a general sacrifice, one that doesn't affect them personally. But I I do think that's what um, separates an actual hero from someone that sees themselves as a hero. And again, right. in the lens of looking at this through Doom, that I, I think that's what separates him from Reed.
0: Interesting, interesting. In that Reed is, Reed is willing to make those sacrifices in no, a way Doom is not.
1: Yeah, and and not even Reed is not a hero without his his own faults, you know. He's he he definitely has some pride issues there. But again, that's apart from Doom, he is willing to acknowledge acknowledge fault in some circumstances and if if it came down to it, I I do think he would he would sacrifice himself for his family.
0: That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, and I think, and that can sometimes be part of that kind of um villain rationality we talked about before where you could see it very selfishly as like, well, I want to do as much good as I can, but I don't want to die, mm. which, I mean, I'm not going to like, that's how I would probably approach a lot of these things. I'm not saying that I think that by definition makes you a, a villain. Sure. It's it's more than I, I think what a lot of times the villain can fall into is this idea of thinking the world needs me to save it. Mm. So if I risk my life, if I risk my life to save these t- 20 kids on a school bus or whatever it is, well but then the billions of people who might suffer because I wasn't there to save them. Sure. Um, sure. you know, which is obviously kind of like you step back from it, and you're like, that's some um, pretty self-righteous and like, you know, you, you went out pretty well in that particular line of thinking, <laughs> but it's one that I think characters can fall into a lot. Yeah. So compare uh, that to an anti-hero. How, how would you define an anti-hero as opposed to, um, a hero in this regard?
1: Yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting when I was hashing this out in, in my, my thoughts, uh, breaking down a hero and the differences and the disparities between a hero and anti-hero and a villain. I think one could argue, uh, that an anti-hero is almost the, the least ethical in a way, because they are Mm -hmm. operating by their own ethical code. And, you know, who, who is the, (laughs) this is, this is a pretty deep topic here, but who is the ultimate judge, uh, of what what is what is the correct ethical code. So if you're operating by your own ethical code and what you believe is right, like I think of a character, Punisher. Punisher right. seems like the ultimate anti-hero to me, but I think a lot of people would, would say he's a villain. He certainly has, uh, on screen, we've seen him clash with, with Daredevil. Right. Oh.
0: Yeah, I would say I think season one and season two of Punisher in the Netflix version are to me a good example of the distinction between, an anti- I think he's an anti-hero in the first one mm. and becomes much more of a villain in the second one. Ooh, okay. But but part of, I think, what you're getting at is that, um, that you're right, that, that this isn't objective. There isn't any one sort of moral universal standard for what is moral and what is therefore heroic or anti-heroic. If, if there was, this this podcast wouldn't exist. <laughs> right. um, and, I, and I think you're right that for for Frank Castle... He very much would see himself in that heroic role. Mm -hmm. And I think it's an interesting part of the anti-hero is that it's – I often think of the anti-hero as the person who does the good thing for reasons or in methods that we find problematic. Okay, But where we're – the audience perspective and the perspective of our heroes is often (sighs) – I don't think I would be comfortable doing what he did, but Mm -hmm. I'm also not sorry that they did it. Does that kind of make sense?
1: Oh, totally. Uh, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there, because as you were basically describing all those motivations, the other antihero that comes to mind is V from V for Vendetta. And yes. And basically exactly what you said. It's it, You almost admire what he is doing on the screen, but you would never do it yourself.
0: Right. Yeah. And and V V is one who we've talked about a lot, because he's one of my absolute favorites. Oh, okay. I feel like V is, not to get too far off, off board, but we'll get back to this, mm v to me is the is unique in that he isn't an the anti hero who knows that he's an anti hero correct and and what yeah, but what I mean by that and i think you're you're on the same page is that he knows that what he wants is vengeance mm-hmm. and he also knows that rebuilding the English society and government shouldn't be done on vengeance, and that's why I think he gives that great speech about how it shouldn't he shouldn't be part of the new world that Evie can help create, and that to me there's always this wonderful juxtaposition of him very violently killing the people he wants revenge on, mm. but then the people of England completely non-violently taking back their government.
1: Mm. Yeah. I I would, would wholeheartedly agree with that. And then, uh, as as we're just kind of discussing it here, you bring up Evie as well. You know, a lot of his treatment of Evie is, is really problematic and could certainly sure. be described as, as villainous. And I, I think both of them acknowledge that.
0: Uh, yeah. But, yeah, and she, she would say, like, She thinks she's a better person for what happened, Mm -hmm. but she never consented to it. And he couldn't know that she'd be a better person. And so, yeah, she has this both respect in some ways, almost a love for him, but also Mm -hmm. she can't be with him anymore.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. But he does make that, that sacrifice in the end. So, um, again, where, you know, yeah, I
0: hadn't thought of that, but does he cross back into heroic in that regard?
1: I think in his own story, he does. And and in Evie's story, he does, uh, And certainly for the revolutionaries, but yeah, there's there's certainly some some questions.
0: You know, that's a good way to look at it. Mm. I I think especially because it also goes into these questions of the methods versus the goals. You know, I think when I look at someone like Frank Castle, part of my problem with a character like his, and again, not to make this about the Punisher, and we can go back and forth and and get back to Doom. Sure. For me, it's that a lot of the time with Frank Castle and the Punisher – that line of is my problem with his motivations and methods, or my problem with what he's actually trying to do, starts to get murky. You know, in that I don't know if just killing drug dealers is the way to solve drug problems, or if just you know continuing cycles of violence is the way to to fix cycles of violence. Um, you know, I mean, you can have there are conversations people have all the time now about you know if Batman used his money to you know address the root causes of crime instead of beating up poor criminals like. Maybe that would be a different perspective, and sure. there are comics in which he absolutely does that. He's just not done it as much on in the movies, which is too bad. Um, I know, I'm going yeah. way off off topic, no, but
1: you're good. Kind of, I just I don't think philanthropy is is, is as cinematic,
0: right? Yeah, I mean that's kind of the problem. Like um, showing him at the grand gala, like I want to see him doing that. But you're right; it doesn't make for as good the, a small network t- like a Netflix TV show. That's where we could get that. Okay, um, I'm on board. But so yeah, and so let's go into that third category. So for you, that's a hero or an antihero. What makes an actual villain?
1: What separates a villain from an anti hero, because that's that's I think that's where you get a little more in the weeds. It's a little more obvious what separates a, a hero from a villain. There are some similarities there, and again, that I said, you know, a villain could be the hero of his own story. But I would say they're much more willing to sacrifice pawns, again, mm-hmm. more often than not the the ends justify the means. Right. But uh, I do think one of the more fascinating or interesting aspects of a villain, you know, we we, we talked about the forces of nature versus the agents of chaos mm-hmm. versus the mustache twirlers. Right. And, you know, I would say Doom has served stances as, as all versions of those.
0: No, yeah, I, I can definitely get that. And some reading through his motivations over the years. And I'm sure part of that's just, you know, the same characters written for 60 years. Different people are going to write him. Different people are going to take him in different directions. But I think it says a lot about the character that he's so variable and that he can be approached from all these different directions.
1: Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Uh, and uh, uh, in terms of him being a force of nature, one of the things we saw in early iterations is. Uh, he made use of doombots mm. are you, are you familiar with the doombots at all
0: yeah the doombot is it's it, it's basically a um a mechanical creation but especially because doom lives in a suit of metal hmm. it, it, it no one can tell this is a robot instead of him and that they're programmed to believe they are him when they're not in his presence and so they're very good at fooling people about who he is
1: correct they're basically these um uh automatonic creations that are copies of doom and they actually retain all of his, uh, his memories. So for the average person that would a- approach one of these things, they would actually think that they are Dr. Doom.
0: And I, I think those are one of the most interesting parts of his story. Um, as well as kind of being interesting. Um, I, I, often like to get a little bit meta and talk about kind of why writers do things and stuff like that. And I, mm. for a couple of the writers I looked at confirmed this because I, I think that Doomots are also a fascinating and really powerful plot device Mm. because you know with comic books especially people often talk about like how do you hold continuity over 60 years not have the character do the same thing again and again and again Mm. but also have the character stay true to sort of one common core idea and um so i love that apparently many times in the history they've written a doom storyline and then been like "Eh, do we really want to have doom do that (laughs) no actually it was a doom bot it wasn't him we can just take it all back
1: that, yeah, that's that's a great point that you bring up there, and that is uh, that is an interesting aspect to the character. There, he has been able to basically be all walks of life, um, right, and and all versions of the character. But you know, in in terms of the the different types of villains out there, I think what separates him from some some of the more sympathetic sympathetic villains, excuse me. I think what separates him from some of the more sympathetic villains out there. Um, you bring up Star Wars, and of course, my mind goes to to Darth Vader, and uh, arguably the the story of Star Wars is the rise, fall, and redemption oh, 100%. Of, of Darth Vader, we get so many of those beats um, in the overall story of Doom. Mm. You know, He starts off as the villain, we are initially introduced to him as a villain, as time goes on we get his backstory, um, his childhood in Latveria and the loss of his mother, and basically he's on this quest for ultimate power to to free his mother and to free Lavaria. And that's a bit of the redemption, but what's, what separates him from someone like Darth Vader is he gets that redemption, but then he's still a, a bastard at the end of the day. Sorry. Is it okay to, to use that? Yeah, kind, no, of, we, we that kind of list, That's fine. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. So in the, like when we look at secret wars two, mm-hmm. which was a, a run in 2015, basically we've got, all the different... It was basically Marvel's answer to consolidating all the various uh, multi, multi-dimensions multi they had there, consolidating them into one continuity. And mm-hmm. basically, he took the opportunity... He teamed up with Doctor Strange, and when the time was right, he stole the Beyonders' power. And the Beyonders basically controls time, space, exists. He's basically the Infinity Gauntlet turned into a, a character. Mm-hmm. So... Interesting. Yeah, I, I just think it's 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 nice that he's a, a he is a villain's villain, even though he he does you know fit fit the label of anti anti hero and hero sometimes as well.
0: Well, and I think that's interesting as well because the last time we talked about villains, we used those three categories, but hearing you talk about him and also some, a lot of what I've read about him. I feel like there's a fourth category that we should put um, for him and maybe some others fall into this, especially in comic books, Mm -hmm. which is ally.
1: Okay.
0: And what I mean here is a situation where a person still has villainous intent and is not, um, you know, suddenly having a moral revelation that the Fantastic Four or the Super Friends or whoever it is are good people. It's Mm -hmm. just that something even worse has now come around. And... The villain has now decided to team up with our heroes because they're unified against this shared enemy. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: I always think those stories are interesting because in those stories, and like Loki does this all the time, Mm -hmm. Um, Magneto and Professor X do this sometimes. Um, I'm understanding is Doctor Doom does this a lot of the time, you know, it it happens all the time, Mm -hmm. is that one of the things you get is that sometimes there is some level of like, okay... This greater enemy has realized that my villainy is, is wrong and that I should be working with you. And so there's some of that with Magneto and, and Press Rex often and that's not there. Because yeah. what more often happens is the like, and especially Loki, this is often true, like I'm still a bastard. I'm mm. still going to do everything I can to get my own personal advantage out of this. But for this set period of time, while we share this mutual enemy, I'm going to feel like your ally as we fight this Ella. And so I'm going to be fighting on the side of the heroes, even though my, my basic stance as a villain has by no means changed.
1: Correct. Correct. Uh, I would say that is, that represents a major evolution. Mm-hmm. Not only, f- I, I would say primarily for doom as a character, you know, uh, the, I, I can't say off the top of my head, the first time we saw him team up with whether it was the fantastic four or another set of heroes, as, as you mentioned, he is a frequent collaborator of, uh, not only Dr. Strange, but, uh, also he's, he's teamed up with Iron Man. And even as I mentioned, he actually served a stint as the infamous Iron Man.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: but yeah, in terms of being an ally, I, again, I think for the most part, it kind of ties back to his, his motivations of the ends justify the means. Um, when can I use these people to my advantage? Right. But in terms of his evolution, uh, Again, his hubris, his pride is probably his ego is probably his most defining characteristic. So those instances where he does have to acknowledge that he could use other people's help or other people could benefit him, it's it's probably pretty tough for him to swallow that pill.
0: Yeah. No, I can definitely imagine that. And one thing that I love is that um in a lot of the stuff I was reading, they talk about how either A, there's sometimes a feeling of, Well, the world is facing this great threat and it would just drive Doom crazy if Reed Richards gets more of the credit. Mm. Um, And that the other part of it is, sometimes it's the, he is so determined that he be the one to either kill or to stop, or in other words, sort of defeat Reed Richards. Mm. And it's not just that he wants Reed Richards dead or out of the way, it's that he wants Reed to know that Doom beat him, <laughs> and so the idea that someone else would kill Reed Richards is very much like the Joker being like, "Only I can kill the Batman." Right. I, I get the sense that that comes up with Doom a lot. Is like, no, 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 no. I will fight anyone who tries to protect, who tries to kill Reed Richards, because only I get to kill him.
1: There certainly is an element of that. I don't know if it's as as strong or as uh, pronounced as the relationship between Joker and Batman in that regard. You know, there's is this, mm-hmm. this almost borderline romantic in that regard. Yeah,
0: but, definitely.
1: Uh, given. Reed and, and doom's history that there always is as, as much as they are thorns in each other's side, there is still a begrudging respect there. So, uh, I think that there have been several instances where, uh, doom has stepped in to, to protect Reed right. for just that kind of instance, you know?
0: So one question I would have about doom, uh, and again, this is coming from someone who has only seen him in a couple of the movies, uh, doesn't know the character very well. Hmm. But I know that often one of the things – and this is just basic human psychology and it's – you can debate if it's good or bad and I think probably there's a lot of problems with it. But a basic part of human psychology and, and just our makeup is it's a lot easier for us to both relate to and also therefore to forgive people who look more like us you know, and that that's a lot of – you know, like there's a lot of racism and, and gender stuff that can go into that. But especially even just like, you know, or often it's like the person you find attractive. It's, it's more easy to f- forgive. Mm. But also it's just that ability of like the more humanity you see from someone. Mm. Um, since Doom's, I mean, my understanding is that except for like one or two panels where we see that either his face is horribly disfigured or that he's got this one tiny scar, depending mm-hmm. on the telling of the story.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We almost never see Doom's face. Um, we almost never, all we really see is this kind of very Darth Vader-like, you know, Metal suit of armor in which a from which a voice emerges. Do you think that? Do you think people would find him less of a pure villain if he was more relatable in that regard? If he wasn't just this like suit of metal walking around?
1: I do. I do think he would probably be as uh, as respected and probably as um, affluential as as a Reed Richards type had he not encased himself. But that that part of the character is he given his, his, uh, Romani, um, origins, he's always been very much a, a social outcast. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, his, his time at university with, with Reed Richards and, and other students, like there were attempts to, to bring him in and, you know, let him have some normal semblance of a, of a social life, but he rebuffed those. So he is very much, um, Doing this to himself, not only encasing himself in a suit of armor physically, he does that also uh, figuratively in, in his personal right. life. But uh, another interesting aspect of that that whole phenomenon where he's he's hiding himself in the armor. Uh, you mentioned the, the certain iterations where all it is is just a tiny little nick on his face, and that, that goes that goes back into um, pride is always is always a huge part of the character. But sometimes that, that ties into to vanity. Mm. Um, and I I think uh I think that's something, you know, especially in this day of social media and, and selfies and stuff like that, I think that's something we could all we could all relate to.
0: For sure. Um yeah. this is gonna be a total jump, but I think it's oh, okay. relevant. Have you been sure. watching the T V show or have you read the book The Stand?
1: Uh no, I have not, but I, I'm very interested in it. I just uh have not have not made time for it yet, but I will. I know you guys are covering it, so I'm, I'm excited for that.
0: No, okay, well, I won't say anything spoiler about that. I'll, I'll use other examples, but I think um, there's a trope, I think, that happens a lot, and and it's it's real because it's something I think we can, so many of us can so easily relate to, of the person who is fearful of being rejected, fearful of being judged, and so they wind up, like, the person who, who might want social connection but they're so fearful of being judged, they just cut themselves off from that entirely. It's the kind of like, I'm going to reject you before you can reject me. I'm not going to let you see me so that you can't judge me. Mm-hmm. And it seems like in some ways, Victor Van Doom is like is just a full embodiment of that kind of thinking.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a very appropriate parallel to make for, for modern audiences. And there, I, there may have been some, again, the execution is not there and it's very surface level, but they may have been going for a little bit of something like that. With the 2015 Fantastic Four from Josh Trank, mm-hmm. because you know uh, that Doom was very much the hacker hacktivist um, the type the of wounded character. emo
0: boy who no one understands.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I, I think the way that you broke it down is actually is pretty poignant, and um, mm. I even even in my own life, I could I could take a little bit of something away from that.
0: Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think it's certainly one I can relate to, and I think a lot of us. Um, you know, I think a lot of us turned – this is not, not true by any means, and I think we have many fans who were you know, the kings and queens of their high school and, and middle school and whatever. Hmm. But I think for a lot of fans, especially those of us who are a little older in our 30s or 40s like you and me, when we first became fans of this stuff, it wasn't the most socially popular and socially cool thing to do. Hmm. And there wasn't that little bit of a cycle of like, well – I don't want people to to judge me for the fact that I love Star Wars, that I play these role-playing games, or that I love comic books, or, or whatever it is. So I'm going to pull back a little bit and only hang out with the people who kind of are into that sort of thing. That's um, what I love about Stranded Panda so much is a lot of it's about kind of breaking out of that and being like, no, wait, we, we don't have to be stranded. There is this whole world of people who love these things, and we can build these communities about them that aren't just the toxic, like, you know, no one else allowed in our clubhouse kind of things that unfortunately that can lead to. All of which is say is I think, I think this would be something I'd love to see really explored with Doom in whatever new iterations we're going to get in the new movies. Um, and so I, I want to put a pin in that. Uh, and let me first just go back to kind of the main topic you wanted to talk about, which is yeah. so we can clearly see where he is as a villain. Tell me about some of the versions we've had where Victor is the antihero or even a hero.
1: So I think one of the most uh, classic examples of uh, Doctor Doom serving in the role of an antihero is uh, Secret Wars, which I mentioned before, mm, and that yeah. Inv- yeah, that that involves basically a cavalcade of both uh, Marvel heroes and villains, Doctor Doom chief among them, uh, basically going up against the Beyonder in Battleworld, and again, you know, this is an instance where he's having to make that sacrifice and play well with others. So right, that's kind of the first. Inklings of that evolution to him not being the the straight up villain. And I guess that can kind of be said for uh, several of the other villains that participate in that, you know, the Absorbing Man, Magneto, we spoke about before, uh, Mole Man. But I I would say in the instance of both Dr. Doom and Magneto, their tendency to lean towards the more um, anti-hero aspects stuck around. uh,
0: Right. More so. Well, and so to you, how does that differ from the ally category we're talking about? Um, Is it because in those cases, it does seem like there's a degree of sacrifice, or at least there's a degree of, I'm not just doing this for my own purposes, I'm doing this because this is for a greater cause?
1: Well, you know, initially, I hadn't really considered the ally aspect. It was only in this conversation that that you bring it up. I do think ally is probably more an appropriate category. Maybe he's not so much an antihero, and I'm kind of discovering that as we're having this conversation. Maybe he's a hero a villain and an amp- and a uh, ally and not so much an anti-hero. Right. But well, in terms of... And it's of something sa- I just made up now.
0: So it may not oh, be no. that I'm just coming up with a different word for anti so uh, No, I no be-
1: you're good. I, I, I do think it is appropriate because um, mm-hmm. I, I do think there are aspects of an anti-hero that can be a little more, um, you know, a little more specificity there. Like uh, we brought up V from V for Vendetta. I think Deadpool also qualifies as an anti-hero, yep. uh, Lobo from the DC universe, and one of the really well-known ones, I would say, is, is James Bond.
0: Oh, where... very much so. Very much so.
1: Yeah, he's, he's, you know, this very cool character that's doing these things to, to save society, save the British Empire, save the world, but he is definitely very problematic in, in his approach and in some of the things he does and the sacrifices he makes.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: only in that regard, I would say, you know, maybe you could you could still qualify doom he's he's still a little unsavory in his approach but he he has well, a uh, a good motivation but from his perspective he always has a good motivation
0: let me give you an example of a character that i see as fitting very neatly into kind of being an anti-hero as he is an ally and tell me if you think Do- this would sort of fit for doom as well sure. um, and it's a character of Anakin Skywalker specifically in the TV show the clone wars because in that show, which obviously is very much about his sort of slow decline and fall into the dark side and becoming Darth Vader, okay. one of the one of the themes that they repeat a couple of times, and I'm not going to mention any specific spoilers, but it's kind of a generalized spoiler for plot points in the Clone Wars. Although spoiler, Anakin becomes Darth Vader, mm. um, but <laughs>
1: one
0: of the things that will sometimes happen is they will be a couple of the Jedi will be in a situation that there is, it is very hard to find a moral right answer to. Often about a prisoner who is now a helpless prisoner, and so killing that person would be morally wrong, but they can't imagine a way to keep this person prisoner without them continuing to do great harm. Hmm. And there's at least two or three times where some version of this is playing out, and as the Jedi are debating it, Anakin just walks up and kills the person. Hmm. And you can see that all the rest of the Jedi are horrified that he did this, but are also on some levels relieved Mm. because like he got his hands dirty in a way that meant that they could sort of stay idealistic and stay pure and not have to do the, the, not have to make the hard choice. Um, Mm. and I think that's a dynamic I think we sometimes see, especially in why heroes keep anti-heroes around sometimes is like, you know, that the Punisher will do the thing that, that Daredevil won't feel comfortable with or that Spider-Man won't feel comfortable with. But Maybe they need to have happen.
1: Um, yeah, um, hearing you kind of explore it through that lens, and I, I think Anakin is is perfect, especially through the lens of the Clone Wars, because as as you mentioned, as much as he is serving as an ally, we all ultimately know where he ends up as a character. Uh, right. But to kind of tie it back to Doom, as as you were talking about that, it did remind me of a a similar instance where. Where characters should maybe should have relied on Doom to come in and step in and do that to provide mm-hmm. them re- that relief, but they didn't, and then we kind of see the aftermath and re- Doom's response to that. So there's a, a more recent run where Namor actually t- uh, creates a cabal with Thanos and the Black Order, um, but things quickly get out of hand, and he and he goes back to Doom, and he's like, "Can you help me?" And Doom right. is basically, "No, you you went to." Number one, Thanos and the Cabal first. Then you went to Reed Richards and the other heroes. Now you come to me third. You should have come to me mm. first, guy. So, right. Um,
0: and so there, his pride is kind of what stops him from from getting involved and getting his hands dirty there.
1: Yeah, and and for all we don't know exactly what would have happened because we didn't get to explore that branch of the multiverse. But you, a lot of times, Doom is right. Had Namor, you know, approached him, they probably could have found a more maybe not the morally. Um, correct course of action, but probably the one that would have had the, the least amount of casualties.
0: In many people's view, by definition, that is the moral thing to do. I don't necessarily think it always is, but it's certainly one moral perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what does it mean then for him to be a hero? Where are the times where you see Doom acting like a hero?
1: So, one of the major revelations about the character of Doom, and I've already spoken on it several times here, it's, uh, we find out his motivation for this ultimate power that he's been seeking is to free his mother's soul. Mm. His mother is trapped in hell. Uh, her soul was sold to Mephisto. And this was basically an attempt to, to free the people, the Romani people from the, uh, the Baron that was ruling Latveria at the time. Right. So in that regard, we've talked about, you know, what defines a hero to us and sacrifice, I, I mentioned at the top of the, the show is, is, is one of the key aspects to being a hero for me. And when we get this revelation that he's basically sacrificed his entire life, he's sacrificed his, his opportunities at romance. He's sacrificed his, uh, his career opportunities. He sacrificed his uh, opportunity at a deep friendship and partnership with Reed Richards, uh, as well as the rest of the fantastic four, potentially he's done all this to, to free his mother and, and to save his, his people in his home. And, um, in this storyline that we, we find all this and this all becomes concrete to us. It is actually the run where Victor Von Doom has stepped up and taken the mantle, um, from, of Iron Man from Tony Stark. Right. You know, this is the, the period of time where, uh, Tony Stark died as a result of civil war two, uh, spoilers for civil war two.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um, so this is a period of time where both multiple people are kind of stepping into the role of Iron Man. We see R- Riri Richards. This is where she she's introduced as Ironheart, and then uh, Doctor Doom has his stint as the infamous Iron Iron Man. Uh, really cool get-up. He's got the the silver Iron Man armor with his. It, it, it's kind of a, a mash between his classic look and and Tony's armor. Right. It's really cool, and he actually has. It's you get to explore. You, you talk about the number of times we've seen Doom. In the panels, without his uh, his helmet on, this is one of the ones where you get a lot of his in, inner conflict and turmoil. You know, he really does want to turn over a, a new leaf in, in this run, and he actually wants to live up to the legacy of Iron Man and Tony Stark. He has respect for for Iron Man and Tony Stark, and um, again, just talking about the the long run this character has had and the evolutions there, I, I think this is where we actually see him serve as a hero.
0: Right, I can see that, and the way you tell that story about him and his mother, especially, um, and not that this person I'm about to mention is a hero, but I kept getting vibes of Mr. Freeze and his story, you know, Mm. and that he is doing everything he can, sacrificing everything he can to bring back his wife. Mm. Um, And there's often a real level of sort of romance to his character and this noble sacrifice as, and this idea that he is, he's often willing to do anything and everything and to be horribly villainous, but Mm. that there's a way to tell his story that could make him heroic where he wasn't, you know, doing horrible things, but he was doing everything in service of this noble goal. Um, mm. And so I like the idea that we could tell Doom's story in a similar way of when it's not about he'll do all these horrible things, but that he will sacrifice everything in order to help his mother, in order to, to help his people, whatever it is.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah, you know, hearing it kind of broken down like that as well, I don't know if you're familiar with Breaking Bad, but it's kind of the... Very much so, Yeah, it's kind of, yeah. It's kind of the opposite of Breaking Bad, whereas Walter White's his motivation started out so good to, well, I I won't say so good, but he, you know, he obviously wanted to take care of his own and his family, but along the way he lost himself. But we look at, at characters like doom. And, and I like, I like that you bring up Mr. Freeze. They are definitely kind of, it's, it really is interesting. We're kind of seeing the opposite where you're given a blanket mustache, twirling villain. And as you, Explore what what is was actually there. You can actually argue for the fact that they're a hero, whereas Walter White is the exact opposite. He starts off as a bumbling guy, and at the end, he's he's absolutely despicable. There's nothing. Well, that's I guess that's up for debate of whether or not there are redeeming qualities there. But that's another right. podcast.
0: Although certainly for both of them, the pri- I mean, so much you talked about how Walter White starts out with these noble intentions, and I I think on some level you're right, but <clears throat> we know in the second or first or second episode that he has the chance to get all the money he needs, but his pride won't let him. Oh, right, right, right. And I think in actually that regard, there's a very strong connection with him and Doom. Um,
1: That's very true. I had kind of forgotten that aspect of it. But yeah, you're you're totally right. Pride is a major through line in in both characters. Mm
0: -hmm. And I think one thing that you're, I think I didn't really quite understand where you were coming from, I think, when we started this discussion of this topic. Mm -hmm. But I think I really do now see it because part of what I'm getting out of this, and I think this is kind of what you had in mind, is that one of the things that makes Doom a character that's so interesting is that context matters so much, you know, and that, mm. that there are some characters who you really have to like adjust the dials on them to make them more of a hero or a, uh, an antihero or a villain. You know, mm. they have to suddenly really start caring about something that they've never cared about before, or suddenly give up thoughts about something that they've always wanted.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: But what I'm getting from Doom is that he's a character who depends, you know. He is a genius and a you know inventor and a scientist who has these incredible goals and this incredible ambition and all this pride. Is this is kind of you know very Greek hero like a tragic flaw, mm-hmm. and and that depending on the circumstance, in some situations he will do the absolute worst evils because that's what he thinks is needed. In other situations, he'll act absolutely heroic or be an ally, mm-hmm. and that it's. He's a character who, it seems like, depending on what part of a story you tell, he's going to appear very different, but without changing the core of that character.
1: Agreed, yes. So, yeah, initially when we set out to kind of set up this topic, that is that is what I had in mind. Can a character fit into all these different archetypes without sacrificing who they are at their core? Right. And I, th- I think through this discussion, we have revealed that not only has has Doctor Doom fit all those, he has done it without sacrificing who he is at his core. And, you know, we did mention the Doom bots and some of the evolutions that he's he's gone from, you know, his his initial debut. But all that said, I, I still think you could take that debut, Victor Von Doom, from the original um, Fantastic Four, and compare him to hopefully well, I'll say, first of all, I'll compare him to the modern version that we see in the comics today. But what mm-hmm. I hope for is, is the one that we see on screen now that the, you know, you you, so, you said we've seen Doom on screen a few times to, um, to and he left something to be desired. I really hope we get an on-screen Doom that, you know, does justice to this character that has such a long running and nuanced uh, history in the comics. Right.
0: For sure, because I mean, one thing that occurs to me when you talk about the, that he can be all three is that if you want to tell me that this is all part of the same character and all part of the same narrative, and that a person can be heroic in certain circumstances but will be willing to be villainous in other circumstances, I, I'm going to tell you that's a villain, you know, just flat mm-hmm. out, and that their mm-hmm. particular moments of heroism, you know, you have to do it all the time. Like, you can't, or you have to have a redemption arc. But I think hmm. what's interesting is that the way you're, the way I'm understanding this is because it's not just one continuous narrative, it's all of these sort of arcs and mini narratives and things like that, that there are self-contained stories about Doctor Doom where from the beginning to the middle to the end, he is just the ally. He's just the hero um, and and that, that you can sort of put him in some of those like other world type situations or the what if kind of things and, and make him be a complete different role in the universe as a hero – but without changing the core of his character.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's something I would actually love to see explored. You know, we're, we're getting the what if series uh, from Disney plus here, seeing what, what different Marvel characters we've already seen on screen, what they might look like in different um, scenarios and situations. I would love to see doom. You know, had he been given a different upbringing, maybe he would be, maybe he would be the, the poster boy of the Avengers.
0: Right. If if just he had listened to Reed before that one experiment that, that either that Matt marked his face, however much it happened or didn't happen.
1: Correct. Yeah.
0: For sure. There's a lot more I know we can get into. And I think we'll definitely have you back at some point, especially as we get close to the Fantastic Four movies, as well as because I'd love to take this idea and apply it to the characters. But I want us to start wrapping up. So let me just ask, and we've hinted at this, but I want you to go further. What are you hoping for from Doctor Doom in... The movies that we may get, or I think we're, we're definitely going to get, but when exactly it is, we don't quite know yet.
1: Right. So, without getting too inside baseball for people, there were actually some rumblings that uh, Noah Hawley, who um, has done Legion on FX for Fox, uh, he was briefly attached to a Doom project, and that's all we really knew about. It, it was a standalone Doom project. So, with that in mind, I would love to see, we've already had two, three versions of the Fantastic Four. I think mm-hmm. people are pretty familiar with the Fantastic Four. There are ways to see the Fantastic Four into the Marvel Cinematic Universe going forward. I know we've got the film announced, but I would love to see Doom either given his own miniseries on Disney Plus or his own outright film to introduce him before he oh, clashes. Oh, that before he clashes with uh, the Fantastic Four. Or if it's the miniseries, I mean, of course, I'd be open to the Fantastic Four popping up there. But uh, in terms of the character, I, I really hope that they, and I, I think they will, they will follow suit with some of the more recent villains we've seen, um, namely Killmonger as well as, as Thanos, where, uh, as in the comics, it's it's a character that you should be questioning yourself and and wondering, am I on this guy's side? Like should I be rooting for him? Um in in terms of the casting and everything like that, I think it's pretty open to interpretation. Latveria could be anywhere they they want. I would prefer that they skew a little bit older,
0: mm-hmm. not
1: not terribly older, but uh someone that could could bring the proper gravitas and the right. and the history there. Uh what what about you?
0: Yeah, I mean I I love that idea you're talking about because Uh, of of giving him his own movie or or his own series because I think one of the things we talk about a lot here and we've talked about a lot today is that you know when a character is introduced in the context of someone else's story you're kind of seeing them through someone else's eyes Mm. and it would be great to sort of see Doom's story through his own eyes and not necessarily with him being portrayed as a hero but maybe being portrayed as kind of like the way Walter White is in Mm. Breaking Bad you know it's it's we're seeing it through his eyes. We're seeing his justifications. And we, the audience, get to kind of sit back and judge and say, how do we feel about this? And yeah. and then seeing him brought into the fantastic, fantastic Four where now we're seeing him be a villain towards those characters. But we also have our own feelings, whether it's sympathy or judgment or whatever it is, mm. wrapped up with him. So I, I think I would just love to see that. And I would I would just love to see more of – <sighs> There's some parts of the character I, I'm a big believer in the idea of modernizing things from the comics and from the stories and you know I last just last week we did an episode on Cobra Kai, which is mm. one of my favorite um was one of my favorite TV shows. Now I think the third season has really gone off the rails. Oh. And part of what I loved about it that I don't think it did in the third season is it took the idea of the nineteen eighties martial arts action movie, The Karate Kid, and said, Okay, that was a great movie, but we now see things very differently 40 years later and we're not mm-hmm. quite as like the world is divided up into heroes and bullies as easily and we, we're, we're sort of problematizing some of the parts of that story mm-hmm. i'd love to see some things parts of that be done with doom you know um just if nothing yeah. else like we have a very different understanding of the romani people today mm-hmm. than we did when doom was written and and so i i don't know how he's written um i don't know if you know he, he's it, I I don't I don't know anything about that, but I certainly hope that there's like some cultural sensitivity in, in like how that's addressed. Um mm. the idea of where it's just ego is like the thing that makes you want to conquer the world entirely. Um I'd love to see that given that some more depth, you know? Mm. Um and again this sounds like I'm being super critical of a character I haven't read much about and so that's I don't I, what I what I don't I don't mean that, oh, I can tell from what you're saying I know these are bad things about the character. I'm saying from what I know, this is all that I know about the character, and I would love to see to learn more about those parts of the character. And it, because it may well be that they're already in the comics, or it may be that those are things that are kind of starting to be inserted. Um, hmm. because yeah, I, I think it sounds like a fascinating character. I think that I, I, it's funny. I, there's a great essay I wrote. Ugh, this is this is now going to go completely off of the um uh genre we're talking about, but. Uh. One of my absolute favorite favorite villains of all time is Iago from Shakespeare's Ooh. Othello. Okay. And part of what makes Iago so wonderful is that he has absolutely zero motivation. Um hmm. he's a little bit wronged by Othello, he's a little bit, you know, offended, but but mostly he and I think there's certainly a lot of racism in his character, but he's very much just like I want to watch the world burn. I am this mm. force of malignant of malignant evil because i can be Mm. and he's terrifying for that reason when he's portrayed well Mm. and i always think that like the mustache twirler villains part of what makes them so part of what makes them not work is because they very rarely achieve that level of i am terrified by the fact that you exist and i don't know why like to me the Mm. joker can sometimes get to that level especially mark hamill's joker
1: yeah it's kind of abhorrent to the natural order of things it's like Something, exactly. Like, some, yeah, it's almost like the uncanny valley. It's like something doesn't fit here, and I refuse to accept it.
0: Right, and because, like you said, like if we can look at a hero and say, or look at a villain and say, well, it's because this happened, then maybe we could fix that. If it's because he grew up poor, we can address poverty. If it's because he had an abusive father, we can address that kind of thing. Mm. When you have mm. evil that just exists as just malignancy, that's terrifying as a character. Certainly. But it's something that has to be done. And and so I feel like I want most villains to either be that as a very rare thing Hmm. or to really appear to me as fully motivated, fully complex characters who are the heroes of their own story, who know what they want, who see what they want. And I feel like with Doom, we really have a chance to get that, which, frankly, as much as I love the MCU, it hasn't had as many great villains as some of the other. Um, You know, we have... Killmonger, I think, was a great villain. I think some Mm of the Netflix stories had great villains. Right. Um, And then we've got a lot of Nazis and megalomaniacs and in Thanos, someone who can't do math. So, so yeah, I I guess I'm just really excited to, just after hearing so many of these stories for so long, to see it happen and to see how it's going to be retold and then to hear all of you talk about, like, is this a good representation of him? What do you like? What don't you like? All that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. uh, One just little quick thing I want to add in there, just as we were talking about that, um, and maybe I'll get some flack for this, maybe rightfully so, but as we were talking about, I could not help but just kind of envision, you know, Victor Von Doom is is a monarch and a king of Latveria. We talk about this miniseries and his pride. What if we almost got like a tiger king... Documentary. I, t- I talked about that Ed Brubaker run where it was done from like the standpoint where it was like an interview documentary where he's being interviewed. Oh, you so it's almost... kind of
0: done by like a journalist in the MCU who is interviewing this monarch, and it's kind exactly. of like behind the scenes of the Latvian Ex-
1: Exactly, but it's all you can tell. He his machinations are in there, so even from like the production, you can tell like certain <laughs> things are edited out and whatnot to make him look the best.
0: <laughs> I mean, the MCU is definitely going deeper on the idea of different genres, and we are. Mm. By the time this releases, WandaVision will already be live. We're recording this before it has gone. But certainly it seems with WandaVision, the MCU is planning to blow the doors off of what like genre stories are supposed to be. So yeah, mm-hmm. I would love the idea of the mockumentary. I think that'd be a fantastic way to tell his story.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'd love to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just in terms of, you know, you, you spoke about those villains that are just, um, it's unnerving because they are so just straight up, evil at their core i think there's you know there's an avenue there with doom as much as we spoke to the nuance there he Mm -hmm. does have connections to dark magic um and mephisto and some of the demons that may may or may not be popping up in wandavision so uh even if it's just to maybe endear us to him a little bit more or or provide that that juxtaposition that he is not the that abhorrent evil he is a uh respectable (laughs) evil with uh I guess, an understandable motivation.
0: Right, <laughs> right. And yeah, and, and that's the thing. You could just take him totally off the other end and just say, like, he started with these respectable motivations, but now the magic he's gotten into, the relationship he's had, um, you know, he's just gone totally off the deep end. That could be another yeah. fun way to take the story.
1: Certainly, yeah. Uh, it might be more interesting that way, actually. Yeah.
0: yeah. I think that's the thing. is like, to me, the problem with the mustache twirler is when... They try to give us the explanation. You know, I I make fun of that line where Emperor Palpatine shouts, you know, unlimited or ultimate power. (laughs) Because they're trying to say this is his motivation and the motivation makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, And so I more like it, you know, the to me, the Heath Ledger Joker in The the Dark Knight is so good because he keeps telling – everyone keeps asking what his motivation is and he keeps making different things up. He makes up Mm. his origin story. It's clearly Mm – there is no answer. It's just chaos. So –
1: his origin is multiple choice. Yeah, exactly.
0: It's what you want it to be. <laughs> That's
1: right. Um, so there's been a great
0: discussion, uh, Jay Scotty. Thank you so much for suggesting it. Um, is yeah. there any other kind of last points you want to make before we wrap up?
1: No, I, I think we had a, a nice discussion here. As you mentioned, it'll be kind of cool to follow up as we get closer to the actual debut of the fantastic four in the MCU. And then, you know, potentially once, once we've actually seen doom on screen, um, It'll it'll really be fun to have a follow up to this discussion and, and see how satisfied we are with this portrayal.
0: Yeah, that sounds great to me. I'm sure the, the MCU cast will do a lot of that, but it'd be fun to jump in as well. Yeah. Um and folks for um and Scotty, for people who are just hearing you now, um a lot of my listeners aren't necessarily uh, part of all the other panda stuff. For people who are hearing you, I'd love to hear more of your thoughts, what other podcasting have you been doing specifically on the Panda Network?
1: Or anywhere oh, yeah. else? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm pretty limited to the Stranded Panda Network at this point in time, but uh, uh, more recently here, Brian V. Klein and I teamed up to cover uh, Fargo Season 4 for PandaVision, so I yes. know the, the first half already came out. Uh, we took our time on the second half, so hopefully people um, aren't waiting around too long for that, but that'll be <laughs> out soon. And then, uh, of course, I teamed up with Matt for Bingers Assemble. We did all the coverage of Wonder Woman's appearances in the DCEU that'll leading up to, to Wonder Woman 84, so that was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed a lot of your perspectives on those. Um, and I will say, uh, funny enough, <clears throat> as, as soon as I get off with you, I'm going to have about a five-minute break, and then I'm going to be recording with Brian V. Klein because he's joining me for a discussion of the new Star Wars novel that just came out. So, oh, cool. Uh, you know, it's one of the great things I love about Stranded Pandas. We have all these great voices and ideas and perspectives and uh, all sorts of different folks who can jump in and jump out. Mm. Um, next week, I'm going to have Jessica Plummer back on to discuss the comic book history we've been discussing a lot um i know actually coffin and i have been doing a great series on uh the stand on Pandavision, uh and of course on strandedpanda.com you can find all of this as well as other great podcasts about the mcu dc star wars star trek any of the universes you love lots of great different perspectives so scotty thank you so much for being a part of this to all of our listeners thank you so much and have a great day
1: be well folks